Lowrider, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie, <laughs> Lowrider. <laughs> Lowrider, pig. Uh, today, pig, Lowrider. <laughs> we're offering a deconstructed uh, 1967 uh, Ford Mustang Shelby. Uh, <laughs> That is going to be uh, shot into the river. It's just going to make you rethink what it means to drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> when you have an evaporated Valvoline well, uh, glaze um, paired with a... <laughs> a little bit of dynamite smoke. <laughs> what we have for you today is a nice vocal fry par- paired with the <laughs> finest <laughs> film analysis and a couple of dick jokes. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of a deconstruction of what a podcast could be. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deconstruction of the all-white three-men troop of podcasters. Yeah, yeah. Th- two guys with glasses and one guy without, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's diversity, right? Um, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we're a bunch of white guys talking about movies, uh, shocking everyone. And uh, we're going to be... Weird intro for this week. I don't know. Uh, uh, this... Yeah, but you gotta own it gotta sometimes. Own it. Gotta own it. This is us. You know, we're just... This is us on NBC. This yeah. is us this not is being us. special. Here um, we sit. On this show, we talk about the films you'll never discuss in a film space course, unless you're watching Pig, which maybe. Well, I yeah, maybe. I don't know. Look, Arthur wanted to talk about Pig, so we're watching Pig. We're watching Pig. Nick and Cage. And it's our podcast. We're allowed to do what we want to do. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think this one might be good enough to talk about a film studies course. Yeah, it's pretty good. But generally, yes, on this show, we talk about the films you wouldn't talk about in a film studies course, and we try to use that academic lens anyway. And the people talking about it, again, are us. I'm do- I'm still Dustin. I'm this is Arthur. <laughs> I'm Dalton, but did Dustin almost call himself Dalton? I don't was know what he, he was I think he's having a mini stroke. Yeah, could be. <laughs> He forgot to take his meds the when his alarm went off last week. Him. You guys are just going to be glad that I just watched Pig and I will not wake up and choose violence. Uh, <laughs> he's going to let me beat him instead. <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's been waiting for that moment for years. <laughs> it's been coming. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, in case you're tuning in the show for the very first time, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that means we're going to spoil the movie. We're going to tell you what is going to happen in Pig. We are going to spoil Pig, and there's, I think, hefty spoilers in this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hefty, hefty, hefty. So, uh, with that being said... Hefty, hefty, hefty. What on earth, man? <laughs> wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Um, there's a commercial campaign that Arthur and I apparently know that you don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> His name is John Cena. Anyway, uh, we're going to try to avoid spoilers for the first part of the show. And the way in which we're going to do that is with the synopsis and then our thumbs up. <laughs> Stop it, man. Our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And then uh, we'll move from that into expanding the syllabus, which might involve gentle spoilers. And then we get to full down, full full spoiler disclosure after we get down to business. This is is like a progressive den. We're going to have a first course. We're going to have a second course. Yeah. We're going to have a third course. Probably a fourth course. It's followed typically by maybe a fifth course. And then you have (laughs) I think there could be a sixth course. After the sixth course, you have a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Moving right along, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of their cinema. Can we hear uh, the synopsis, please? When his prized truffle hunting pig is stolen, Rob must venture back into the high stakes world of five star cooking to find answers and his pig. Yeah, Michelin stars are abounding, and and Nick Cage has never looked grislier. He is very it's grisly. True. I love this movie. It's very fun. Yeah, he looks like he just came out of a gold mining expedition in 1825. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah he very much, the, the spirit of the 1890s is alive in Portland. Like, that's where he was when they, they cast him. Yeah. Like, Nick, 
Can you take Nick, a break? Are you, are you done panning for gold? <laughs> Can you come help us out for six weeks? <laughs> There's a series about that on the History Channel. A, he was it was on. about six weeks. This was was a, it? Yeah, this, they did not have a lot of money for this movie. It, it, was, was, it seems was pretty tight. It, it was very, short, very indie. Very yeah. short shoot. Like three sets. Yeah. Yeah. Very so, tight shoot. I think I'm the only virgin watcher this week. Uh, you'd seen it before? I had not seen it. Oh, no, you had not? I'm the only one that's seen it. You are, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to go I to... I picked it because I wanted to see it. Um, well, then I'll go to you because you picked oh, it. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Arthur. Let's hear that review. Thanks. I like it. Yeah. We can't test our theories about who's the more virgin because I hadn't seen the movie and you had. Yeah, I put it on my, my top 20, 10 of 2021. I could see why. Yeah. I think if I had made a list, this would have been high up there, too. This is a good movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is, man. This is a good movie. Uh, I, I love everything that this movie is doing. Uh, I think that, you know, not getting too much into analysis, but the way it plays with the tropes of the genre that it alludes to be in, as you know, this this thing that has been sold to us as consumer of old man revenge flick, um, the play, way it plays with every element of that uh, it is so, I think, smart. Uh, it is a movie filled with heart. Um it uh, it features some just really strong, uh, fun, stoic performances. Nick Cage here is, is is a blast. I think so many things about this movie would fail in the hands of a different filmmaker or with a different cast or a different crew. I, I think there are a lot of things in here that shouldn't work. The absurdity level is so high that it shouldn't work. But it's played so straight. Yep. So earnestly. And earnestly and it just nails it at every turn and and i think that is the most impressive thing that this film does because there are moments there's there's a moment late in the film at at a dinner that takes place and there are a couple of pieces there where i'm like this shouldn't work this is too absurd for this to work but it does and and i think that's a testament to cage i think it's a testament to a smart script i think it's a testament to strong solid direction that gets it there and a it's feature just, debut, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael Sarnowski just, like, coming out of the game. Came out swinging, yeah. Just, mm. uh, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, a movie comes along every once in a while that you just really admire. Um, I, I think it's solid. I, I love what it's, you know, it's it's kind of commentary on movies. It, it's, I don't know, maybe commentary on Cage's career uh, as well. In some ways, uh, some of the monologues that he gets... Um, and then setting it amidst this world of fine dining, I think, is a very fun place to put it. And so, yeah, I, I, I like this movie a lot. I don't know. I, I mean, I might be able to find a nitpick here or there, but it, it's going to be very hard for me. I, I, I really adore, adore this movie. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I will go next for you have Ooh, seen the movie already. Yeah, go for okay. it. Um, yeah. um, I like it a bunch. Excellent. Uh, I mean, well, okay, so... We're trying to avoid spoilers here, so I will do that. But um, we can read again that synopsis. We could look at the trailers and those kind of things. And you would get the impression that this is Nick Cage plays John Wick. And the pig plays a dog. And uh, that, that is the film that ensues. And it is not that. And yet it is 100% that. That all by itself is brilliant. Uh, Nick Cage, Academy Award winning actor Nicolas Cage, comes back and shows us he's an actor still. And uh, as he always does, if you're wa- if you're really watching the bad movies, the quote unquote bad movies, he's still showing up to play, baby. Mm-hmm. He absolutely is, and uh, crushes this performance. Adam Arkin also love uh, Adam Arkin in in this sort of like a crazy uh, what what is uh, William Hurt in uh, the end of uh, uh, History of Violence? History of Violence. Yeah, yeah. As as the heavy at the end. And 
but not yeah, Alan Arkin as a heavy is like pretty fun yeah, casting. Yeah, I, I just man, and it, it totally works. Um, and so there's a I lot said to Alan, me. I meant Adam. Adam, Adam yeah. Arkin. Yeah, there is an Alan Arkin also. So there is different actor, very different actor. <laughs> um, hey, Radar. Uh, anyway, uh, what we see though with this movie is a very very Portland film. Uh, very much uh, the Pacific Northwest, very much, again, sort of uh, haute cuisine, gourmet culture kind of life. All of those bits and all the granularity of that particular world done in the way of a gangster film. I mean, it's just, it, it is brilliantly thought out. Hey, man, fine dining's cutthroat. It, it is. It absolutely is. I mean, I, I've watched Hell's Kitchen. I mean, it is a high stakes world. Absolutely. And the ways in which he pressures his investigation, again, he applies pressure in with so much mercy. He applies yeah. pressure with grace. It is astounding to me. Um, I am a big defender of the McDonough films. Uh, we've talked about them a lot on the show, and you're, I mean, I'm previewing my syllabus already. But this is my kind of movie, and so yeah, all up in my wheelhouse as well. I absolutely love Pig. Um, there's nothing bad I can say about it at all. So with that, I go to you, Dalton. You like this movie a lot, ranked number three in your top ten. Tell us why. Yes, yes, third only to Dune. And Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> Fair enough. So that tells you a lot about how much I like Pig. Uh, I, I like it about as much as I like Dune and Barb and Star, two things that I am on record as loving. I Yeah, I think Pig is magnificent. I think it's just absolutely wonderful filmmaking. Uh, every second of this movie is just gentle and and thoughtful and meditative and, and yet never feels boring, never never feels laconic. You know, it's it's never self-indulgent it is always to it's a 90 minute clean lean mean film going machine and yet like it does all of the sensitive thoughtful quiet things that you would expect a, a movie that's far too long to do and that's that's what i think is so great about this movie it takes exactly the formula we've talked about it the short 90 minute action thriller revenge movie and turns it on its head and, and is not really that movie at all. It is definitely its own thing and, and uses fine dining almost as a metaphor for, for movies or just art and artistic endeavors in general. Um, it's just, it's so great. I, I think every scene of this movie absolutely hits. Uh, there's, there's not a moment that doesn't work. Uh, there's another hour of this movie out there though. Oh what? Huh? Yeah, yeah. They they uh they they there's like a two hour plus version of the movie, but the distributor I think I don't know if it was Neon or somebody earlier in the decision making process, but at some point they were like, we got it, we got to trim some fat off this movie. I want it. I know. I would be very curious, but because the ninety minute version is so compelling and so, you know, just to not tonally, uh, but uh, just tight uh, time wise, like yeah. there's there's nothing wasted. So I would be curious what a little bit more. Uh, room to breathe would look like on this movie. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's there's nothing wrong with it. I, Arthur said he could find some quibbles. I, I truly don't know if I could find any. Uh, watching it last night, uh, I didn't get uh, as much lead way away from it as I normally like to on the show. I like to try to get a couple of days between me and talking about it, but uh, I just watched it last night for the second time. I uh, got to see it in theaters last year when uh, we were everything was very open again as opposed to kind of open again. Yeah, those, this was one of the movies I, I ran, didn't walk to the theater to see, and I'm so glad that I did, because it's sumptuous, much like a five-star or a Michelin-star meal. It is just absolutely gourmet in what it's giving you, and yet, it feels down home, baby. 
it does feel like that English pub. It is the scotch liver eggs with honey curry mustard or whatever. It is it is that. It is the dish you care about. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. One of the things I care about is pig. I love this movie. Very cool, very cool. Well, there you go, dear listener. Our biases are pro, if you were not gathering that from that. So now we're going to move on to a little exercise we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, what is that all about? Uh, Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts. Uh, That could be books, articles, or just tangentially related films and stories. There you go. So that's what we're going to do. Um, Dalton, what are you going to do with that uh, their movie pig and how are you going to teach it? Well, I'm going to revisit a syllabus that I sort of played around with when we did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I, I worked on a syllabus that was about artists and authenticity in the gaze of the world. This is a, definitely still a, a class that's about art and artists, but it, I'm, I'm less concerned with uh, the gaze of the world this time and, and more concerned with how the artist views themselves, right? This, this self, this perception of ourself that we all, we all, you know, have to create our own stories of who we are. And, uh, all of these films, I think, deal with the idea of the artist in interesting ways. Uh, some, some films that I haven't seen. Uh, but, but I, I think all of, actually, I'm going to go ahead and scrap those. We'll, we'll start with, uh, a pairing that, uh, I, uh, two, a pair of films that were put together by uh, the next picture show, the uh, the film spotting family podcast. Um, they they uh, a while back uh, paired uh, Roger Corman's Buckets of Blood and Dan Gilroy's Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, and uh, kind of talked about how those movies are are about art and the artist and and sort of uh, art as commerce and and uh, carnage as commerce in some really interesting ways, some interesting overlaps. And I think both of those. Uh, I haven't seen Buckets of Blood, but I think Velvet Buzzsaw does something similar to Pig in that it, it sort of explores art for its own sake. Uh, and, and, you know, if an artist is making art for its own sake, maybe it should be kept uh, in the dark because that's where it's it's uh, it's choosing to be created. Uh, next, we look at Birdman, the, uh, the, the film with Michael Keaton, or, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, of course, a film that I have only seen the once and I didn't really care for, but I think no. with... I think honestly, Pig makes me like this movie a little bit better because it makes me sort of think about how Michael Keaton uh, inhabits that that character and kind of uses what we think of, what we know of Michael Keaton, uses his career and our sort of our expectations for a former superhero, and, and kind of uses that against us as an audience, and, and definitely presents the, the, a portrait of an actor who wants desperately to be taken serious, seriously. And uh, I, I think that's such an interesting movie as far as the, the way it deals with, you know, trying trying to be a, a quote unquote artist and trying to be taken seriously and, and trying to really, um, you know, make work that means something to you, but also gives you that validation that, again, we'll talk about more when we talk about analysis with Pig. But I think Pig and, and Birdman do do a lot to, together as far as. You know, engaging with the idea of the critic, uh, we get the, the the magnificent restaurant scene that we get in Pig. I think pairs really well with the the scene we get with the critic, Leighton Birdman, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's that's one of the standout moments of that movie. A, a movie that you know, there's again, I haven't seen in close to ten years now, because um, that's what 2013, 2014 that movie came out. It's been a while. 
Uh, but anyway, close to 10 years now, I still think about the scene with uh, Michael Keaton and, and the critic that uh, is a really interesting scene that I think pairs nicely with the restaurant scene that mm-hmm. we get here in Pig. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, though, is another film we would look at. Uh, again, I, this this course, I first started taking shape when we talked about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So I definitely want to bring that in, into discussion because so much of that movie deals with art and the artist and perception and again, the role of the artist, especially in a time when uh, women were not really respected as artists, yeah. I think. Uh, and, and again, we still live in that time. We like to think we've come a long way. And I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire does a good job of uh, engaging with the ways in which we haven't really come that far. Uh, what a great movie. Mm-hmm. Celine Sciamma just absolutely crushing it. Uh, but I, I, of course, would also like to look at uh, Walk the Line and Walk Hard. And Ray, I mostly want to look at Walk Hard because it, 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 I like how it deconstructs the biopic. Yeah. But I think Walk the Line and Ray are both like very competent biopics, very very solid movies that still give us a story of an artist and kind of let us look at how we tell the stories of real artists and you know how we kind of lionize these people uh, without really appreciating their humanity. Uh, and I, I think both those films do a good job of exploring the real human cost of, of making a thing and being in the public eye. Uh, the last uh, film that I want to mention is a film called The Wolf Pack, uh, about a group of brothers that uh, live in this apartment in Manhattan. And that's a film that definitely makes you go, mm, how much of this is this documentarian making happen? And how much of this is real? And I think that that's a fun film to look at just because it, it does ask those questions about authenticity of how authentic is the thing that you're watching and how, how authentic are the experiences that are being depicted because they're being depicted as very authentic. So again, I, I think documentary is always a fun place to look at that because, uh, you know, all documentary has a point of view and it's sort of, uh, the, I think the, the role of you, a viewer, when you watch a documentary to sort of figure out what the film's point of view is and, you know, while still trying to develop your own thoughts on things. Um, oh, you know what? I got one more. Uh, the Melissa McCarthy film. Can you ever forgive me? Yeah. yeah. Love this movie. Have you guys good. seen this? Have you yeah. seen it? Yeah. Uh, a film that deals a lot with, uh, forgery, uh, and, and, uh, an artist who cannot make a name for themselves in their own right and tries to, uh, find an outlet through other people's work. Uh, again, really interesting movie. Uh, I'm trying to remember who worked on it because it's got some some clout as far as its writing and directing pedigree. It's the director who did Mr. Rogers. Yeah, Muriel Heller, is that her name? I think so. Yeah. But uh, anyway, really great movie. And again, I think uh, still asking these questions about the artist. I don't know what cor- sort of course this would be. I think it might just be a film studies course, but uh, I think we would try to... Uh, hone in a little bit more. It would probably be a higher level course as far as trying to be not just about film studies, but asking a very specific question about art. And uh, so maybe we'd look at some other materials outside of the world of film. Uh, but again, I, I've, I keep coming back to this idea uh, that, that we first revisit on uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I think there's a lot of great movies that deal with this question of authenticity and, and film. And uh, I think it's a, you know, film is useful for, for exploring that because we get to kind of live in the world of a, of a character and uh, we get to watch a character wrestle with their own feelings of authenticity versus inauthenticity. I think you'd also throw Ratatouille on that list, too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. For a number of reasons. Yeah, because for reasons that all kind of deal with, yeah, what I've talked about. Yeah, they kind of deal with, like, what what is real, what is not real, and what's col- is collaboration? Yeah. Does that take something away from the art if it's not coming from one one hand? And, you know, that's, that's how we end up with this auteur myth of filmmaking, right, is we, we're so 
uncomfortable with the idea of collaborative art. We, we needed there to be one authoritative voice behind yeah. things. And I, I think, I think that's what I love so much about film and talking about it is it really does challenge you to think about, uh, the, the, the many hands that go into making something great. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Dalton, what do you say, Arthur? What's your syllabus looking like? Uh, I'm going to easy route again this week. I, I want to talk about the old man revenge thriller. Yeah. Um, which I think has definitely seen a big resurgence, obviously, in the last 15 years, 14 years. Um, but I, I think we have to go back initially and, and go to the Western. Uh, I think this is a big That's where component it has of sure. that uh, genre. Uh, and so I think specifically, I probably would go with The Searchers, uh, mostly because Wayne is older there. Um, I think that comes out 20 years after Stagecoach, approximately. Sounds right. And so you know he's older more grizzled looking at that point. And it's really kind of, I think the big touchstone here uh, and, and where we would set a, a foundation because I think even in parallel to who he is in stagecoach uh, is, is a, a dynamic yeah. inter- to, to discuss. And so we would start with the searchers and then we're going to move into seventies, eighties. Uh, we're going to talk about Charles Bronson and we got to talk about death wish, sure. which is really, I think when I think of this genre, the, the first movie that comes to mind and, and really popularized, for a certain period of time, the genre, the tropes, yeah. the the characterization. The vigilante revenge movie. Yeah, it yeah. sort of is the granddaddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and still there we have just these everymen in both The Searchers and in Death Wish. These are just regular Joes. They may have seen some, some wartime, but you know they're just regular guys who've been wronged and they are off to avenge their family, whatever that looks like. Uh, from there, though, I want to go, and I just added it to the list because I didn't think about it, but I think it fits in well, and that is A History of Violence with mm. Vigo. Uh, again, uh, kind of subverting uh, some tropes, really dealing with those ideas of violence and its place in life and masculinity as well um, from Cronenberg. And so I, I think that's a good place here uh, to go and really does, I think, begin to pave the way for where this course is going to go because in A History of Violence, we have this character who does seem to have some sort of training specific to violence. Um, and so that I think that pulls it into where we're going to go to next, which is obviously taken, yeah. uh, which blows this genre up and, and Liam Neeson's role there and, and the way that just launched a number of imitators in the wake, but really doubles down on the ideas. Oh, this retired regular Joe looking fella actually was a f- former special ops or a former, hitman or former mercenary yeah and has skills that you weren't ready to be prepared for and the 50 men in your organization can't handle uh and, and really does run with that gimmick uh to great extent i mean they made three of them um, and a tv show and a tv show and really did inspire a new wave in this genre uh so really fucked up the discourse on human trafficking unfortunately <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Taken. I, I think just for time's sake, the next logical place to go is, I think, a more postmodern look, and that is John Wick, yeah. which really does double down and toy with the idea of the mysterious drifter yeah, the who's loner. pulled back into a life that he's trying to leave, mm-hmm. uh, that nobody is ready for. But what John Wick does so well is that world building of it, that... There's a whole other layer and underground of mercenaries and spies and hitmen who we don't know about, but they have their own economic systems and uh, networks and really plays and toys with those ideas. 
and I think in some ways does begin to deconstruct the genre. Absolutely. But also reconstructs it in a really new, playful way that makes it more entertaining and allows it to become, I think, a bit more palatable to keep it fresh. Um, and just couple that with some great action. Yeah. Uh, John Wick does it well. Uh, from there, we're going to jump back to um, Liam Neeson. We're going to talk about Cold Pursuit, which came out a few years ago, uh, which does feel it's a like... a remake, too, right? Didn't it have I a, think it may have been a Swedish yeah. movie or something. a Scandinavian picture of yeah. some sort. But uh, that is one that does attempt to and fails, but it, it really is an attempt to deconstruct the genre. Uh, and putting Neeson in that role, I think, is key to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's one that just it doesn't work tonally. It's kind of a miss. Um, the humor isn't always there, and it's at times you're like, oh, I think this is poking fun at the genre, but it, it, it doesn't in a way that isn't effective or memorable. Mm. But I think it's the first time where the genre is starting to kind of double back on itself to really maybe bring it from that postmodern lens, but also maybe gets to a point of maybe it's time to start wrapping this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, we're going to go to nobody uh, from a couple of oh, years yeah, ago. Bob with Bob yeah. Um, I think it was just last year. Yeah. I, th- I think the release was, yeah, 20 late 2020, early 2021. Yeah. I know we got pandemic, pandemic movies, messed it up. I think you're right. I think it was early 2021, but um, yeah, it, it really kind of in the vein of John wick, we have this man who has this mysterious special ops training that can kill dozens of people uh, with like a, a a baseball and some gum or something like some real MacGyver style moves. Yeah. Um, but it takes it to a level of absurdity, I think, both in that background, but also in uh, the thing that pushes him over the edge, which isn't really the home invasion, but it's the kid asking for her cat bracelet, uh, which is kind of a, a, the next evolution of, oh, you killed my dog. Oh, you took my daughter's cat bracelet. I'm coming for you. You know, it's it's kind of that mm-hmm. final straw for him, uh, building on this kind of level of questioning his masculinity and his identity. But it does begin to play uh, well, I think, within those tropes. And I think that takes us to Pig, which we're going to get into, but really does feel like a natural ending point for this genre that feels like it has, in every way possible, ran its course. It uses uh, Cage very effectively as far as casting yeah. a guy that's definitely uh, the done right, these th- movies, done these kinds of movies, mm-hmm. yep. is the right age, yeah, yes. has the look, yeah, has the pedigree as yep. as an action actor, yeah, and, and it feels like if they never made another one, we've we've got the perfect, we've yep. wrapped it up, we put the bow on it, let's yep. call it a day, yeah, and I think that's a really interesting place for this movie to know that about itself, and to also so intrinsically and earnestly and beautifully look at this genre and do it in a way that is fascinating and lovely and really earns all of its moments. And so it follows every beat you would expect it to and and still like defies expectation and zigs every time I think it's going to zag. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And so, yeah, that that's what I would do though. It would be a study on the old man revenge thriller. This could be, I don't think this would be a full course on its own, but it could be a good module of a course in the inside of a bigger genre class or something. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. So um, let me do the easy one and then do the real one. Um, I have two syllabi, I suppose, or two, oh, two different look modules. Look at you, fancy pants. Uh, I mean, the obvious one is an anti-violence film. I mean, as we've already said and we've talked about quite a bit, this is anti-John Wick. Hmm. 
which is a film all about retributive violence and the myth of redemptive violence. And so it undoes those kind of things. And so those meditations on the idea of violence and uh, proposing different um, possibilities. Hmm. Um, it, 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 there's a series of films. The McDonough's um, are, are the first place you'd go. I'd look at both Calvary and Seven Psychopaths, two movies I absolutely adore. What's the uh, Martin's the the Seven Psychopaths? What's the other McDonough's? John Michael. Michael. John Michael. There we go. And for Calvary, yeah. Yeah, Calvary's so good. So yeah, Brendan Gleeson, uh, again, and the same thing that he does, that Christopher Walken does, that um, um, Nicolas Cage does in all three of those films are all similar kinds of approaches where they refuse to play the game of violence yeah. uh, in the way that we're expected to play. And sort of just giving the up possibility of other things. I think it would also add at least one war film. And so I think Apocalypse Now would be the anti-war war film uh, from Francis Ford Coppola, uh, would be the one to go with for that. And then um, I think uh, to go with an Indonesian film, um, The Act of Killing Oof. would be Ooh, yeah. uh, an, another film where <laughs> cinema and violence and recounting real-life atrocities um, that took place in Indonesia. Um, I, I, I think those kinds of meditations would be really, really interesting. And I think that that would find its way into maybe like an ethics course, a sure. philosophy course. Yeah, I like uh, that. Something like that. Did you ever find, uh, catch the the sort of companion film to the act of killing? I think it's called The Look of Silence. The I have not director. seen it, no. Yeah, I gotta catch it. We, yeah, that's, It was that's in my what... queue until it went off of uh, the streaming service that it was on. Yeah, it was everywhere and then it was hard to find. Then it was nowhere, yeah. And I, I haven't looked since to, to relocate it. Um, now, the other way you might approach this is the idea of humanity and grace and food. In film, okay, yeah, and so now, this is a little bit more esoteric way to go, yeah, go about sort of a still a similar I- idea because the the film this film is full of gentleness and through food itself is where we sort of have that grace and humanity revealed in uh, various characters and so films that do things like that Babette's feast is one of the first places to go well, quite obviously the French film there in which Babette wins the lottery and rather than spending this money on herself to go back to France where she's from she rather prepares this incredible gourmet f- meal for her uh, um, very ascetic um, Lutherans that she's living among somewhere there in north um, northern Europe, Scandinavia. Um, I forget the exact locale, but she does that for the, the titular Babette makes this feast and is this act of grace that they're they have trouble seeing uh, and being able to see that. And so I think that's an interesting pair uh, with this film. The other film I'd pair with it is Alexander Payne's Sideways, oh uh, sure, which okay. is a movie I like a lot. And it is a movie which is less about grace or in terms of forgiveness, but more about grace in terms of looking at the full humanity of a human being, seeing their flaws, and yet still finding them likable. That Paul Giamatti and Hayden Church are both thoroughly dislikable, and yet they are thoroughly full of a real kind of frail and beautiful humanity, all discovered through their little adventures through wine culture. There's a couple great uh, monologues given by Virginia Madsen in that film Mm -hmm. um, that are pretty brilliant as well. And so um, I think a meditation on grace and food in, say, a film and theology course, um, somebody might teach one of those in August, um, that kind of thing. Uh, seems to be a, a way to go at this film as well. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Your syllabi or your just your film list just got much much longer. I believe though now it's time for us to get down to business. Hey 
And that business is, as always, analysis. Do you feel content? Sal wishes he'd made a movie as interesting as Pig. Ooh. Wait, wait, which Kurosawa? Yes. Kiyoshi or... Oh, Oh, yeah, you're just taking them all on. This movie does sort of share a lot with Cure, though, from last week. And and it's just as far as... I wanted to show you... Hang on. I'm kind of surprised by that. This is an audio medium, so this means nothing to anybody else in the room, but uh, the people here. Uh, But I I think this is fun. Um, If you can uh, see my screen here. Let me just turn that. Oh, one. how identical the posters oh, are! Wow, yeah. I think it's a fun bit. Yeah, yeah. listener, you got to go check out the posters on Letterboxd for Cure and Pig. They do sort of have a fun, uh, tight little, close up. Yeah, shadowy, a little bit out of focus, uh, very minimal title over the bottom. Hmm, um, interesting. Which is very funny to see. Yeah, I, I do think they make pairs in an interesting kind of way. Um, the question I want to ask is, do you feel condemned for liking John Wick so much, watching a movie like this? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, no. Nah. I think because of how absurd that movie series becomes, and is in the first even, if likewise alluding to it, it feels like that movie's already kind of like poking at the genre. It's already jumped its own now, shark. Now, if I was like, yeah, I, 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 if I was like a super fan of Taken... You know, I'd probably think, you know, we talk about what cycles of violence all the time on the show. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like going back to the early days of, of the, the show, that was always kind of one of those biggie on the eye charts for the types of movies we picked. I mean, we go back to Assault on Precinct 13 and just move forward. But the idea of uh, violence begets violence mm-hmm. has always been key uh, through a lot of the movies we talk. So, I mean, we talk about genre films. So, I mean, just because that's our focus. Yeah, of course, we, we do end up with, in wading into those violent waters fairly often yeah uh, i feel like it's come up less often in recent years have they've been more intentional yeah probably. well yeah we've picked different movies for sure but i, I have to say i came off my watch it but feeling slightly chastened interesting uh, chastened by because i do enjoy and uh, find a real pleasure in a good revenge story where you done me wrong i mean i'm thinking about mandy uh which was one of my, one of my top films of the year it came out Same. Uh, in yeah. which uh nicholas cage basically does everything the opposite of uh robin feld yeah, yeah. chef feld uh, chef feld uh, of this good name. film yeah it's a good name robin feld is a great name yeah yeah but uh I, I i loved mandy and i love john wick and I do like the idea of uh, comeuppance, chickens coming home to roost, and people getting what they deserve. And yet, that kind of world, the world of, you know, again, eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, yeah. right? Seek uh, revenge, dig two graves, etc. Right, yeah. yeah. And w- which, I mean, the, the speech that we we have in Seven Psychopaths. We have one guy with an eye, though, you know, because the one guy left with one eye. It was crazy talk. But... um. There is this really, really sort of interesting way. I don't. I don't find it to be preachy, even though it chastens no. that. I think that's the smart way. But I mean, the way this movie navigates everything is it never comes off as pretentious or patronizing or speaking down to its audience. And I think that's why it works so well in delivering its messages. But yeah, I, I think this contemplating study on not choosing violence is is really dynamic and really powerful but it does make you consider it because at every turn you're like oh he's about to go into this underground chef fight club and wreck some people no he he actively has to not and then do he a fight turns the other cheek he has to mm-hmm. take a beating at that right. moment which i apparently I, I think is what's going on i think the the back of house staff is 
getting to beat up the chef. Allowed to sort of like take out their rage and frustration. Yeah, it's sort of they're betting on how bad of a beating you can you can take. And yeah, your your chef. I can't. It was hard to tell who's hitting who, but it's all I restaurant were, workers. Oh, I thought they were beating up bums. No, I think it was all restaurant workers were beating they? each other up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like I have beef against you, and yeah. you know you have a right to have beef against yeah, me. The and maitre d' wants to beat the chef up real yeah. bad. There's yeah. A lot of pinup anger in a kitchen. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the implication we get, right? That this this little guy who looks like he's a waiter or maitre d' of some yeah. kind is like worked with Chef Feld and had a bone to pick was sort of the implication we get. But yeah, he doesn't go in to be a, a macho badass. He goes in to take the beating only to get more information. And the scene sets you up in such a way that he writes his name on the board. I mean, all of these things that take place. That he's about to do it, work. It, it looks yeah. like, yeah, he's about to, yeah, again, the efficient distribution of violence is about to take place and he's going to take apart like six or eight guys. Yeah. And this guy who's half his size. Yeah. Or, or less. Yeah. Um, he just let, with his hands behind his back, just lets him throttle him because he, again, probably mistreated this guy. Yeah. And um, he is sort of owed a beating and he takes it, uh, which is again completely confounds expectations. Yeah. Well, so much of the so much of you know the the revenge movies are about not accepting that bad things happen, right? They're they're about raging against tragedy, and, and this film is so much about accepting the pain that is being alive. Like bad things are going to happen, and you have to find a way to carry on. And and you and sometimes you are a villain in your story in the story that you're in. Yeah. And uh, and when you're the villain, you take your licks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, uh, upsets a lot of Apple Cars. So that's the first major set piece, I think, of the film, if I were to break it up into three set pieces. Well, I still think even when he goes to their, I think, credited as Tweaker and Tweakette, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but when he, he goes <laughs> yes. to the, the the trailer of the people who actually stole his pig, he, he has that first moment. You know, he's he's in the room with the people that stole his his, his beloved animal friend and and doesn't do anything to them. He just asks for more information. Yeah. You know, he, he lets them off scot-free. And that's, you know, in John Wick, the, the path from the person who did it to the person really responsible is a path full of blood. And again, like, as you said, like, the, the people who actually did it, he's very uninterested in, in really even dealing with them. He wants, he just wants the pig back. He just wants his pig. Yeah. yeah. He that's just wants the wants. pig back. He, he doesn't, doesn't want to punish anybody. He doesn't yeah. care why they stole it. He just wants the pig back. And let it be. Yeah. No. So we move from that then to that next piece, which is in the uh, the only scene within a gourmet restaurant in which we, again, see some interesting food porn. Um, the scene of the movie, if you ask me, mm-hmm. with uh, his old uh, line cook, yeah. Derek. Yeah, who always overcooked the pasta. Who he fired. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and that, there's the, it's a, it's a very similar performance in the way he lets this sort of sadness and madness shine through to a... Uh, uh, the the maid in get out right where she is like withholding the uh, essentially the grandmother right yeah, the grandmother, yeah, yeah. there's that battle of identity mm-hmm. but there's that very moment of forced smile while also holding it, it, it was a very reminiscent moment to that where he is like being reminded of you dude you just wanted to have a pub and and serve some scotch this. eggs yeah you don't this want isn't this. you this isn't yeah. who you are yeah, he's Why trying to smi- on smile through this emotional pain that Chef Eld is laying at his feet. Yeah. yeah. And it's a great performance. It's God. a very nuanced, dynamic performance from him as he is like doing this forced, fake laughter smile, but also 
kind of crying to himself. He has to down the whole glass of wine. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then we even get, I mean, it's, it's a great moment for all three actors at the table, right? Because even Alex Wolf, they cut over to him for a really great reaction shot. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, uh, yeah, as, um, Robin is is just kind of laying it all out like and, they don't care about you the critics yeah. this this is all the money it's all fake dude like and this really does feel like the moment Cage gets to be meta about his own career oh for here, sure right and, yeah. and this idea that he has been tossed aside because he makes these weird C D level movies that often go straight to streaming or straight to rental or 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 you know aren't worthy of he he essentially kind of became a laughing stock for a good fifteen, 15 years. 20 years. And some of the best work of his career has been in the last fifteen and, years. And you know, he has built this identity to common commercial moviegoers that he can't act. He is why is he still doing this? But people who actually do engage with his movies see what he is doing and the way he's kind of deconstructed this identity and this persona. And and when it's used right and implemented right really makes for a dynamic story. But he has proven, I think time and time again, that he doesn't care about the critics. He doesn't care. He's he's just interested in making movies that are interesting. I think to him. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. very much so in a way Adam Sandler has operated for the last 10, 15 years of just, he doesn't care about the critics. He's getting paid well, and he gets to hang out with his friends. He wants to go on vacation with his friends, yeah. And he knows people like those movies. Like, there's such a disconnect oftentimes between critic and audience. Sure. Mm-hmm. And guys like Cage and Sandler, I think, know that. And they say, that doesn't matter. Well, and because for- the critics don't care. What are, You know, mm. there's that conversation, what's a critic going to do? It's not going to affect my pay, you know. Yeah. It could, with the right movie, affect my pay pay statement. But make, you're making me think of the uh, the Santa sketch from season two. Of I think you should leave. Oh yeah, like, that's my quote. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Even yeah. if I'm bad, they still have to pay me that. because yeah. that's what I made on the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think there's a really interesting conversation with critics and art, like you mentioned in your uh, syllabus. Yeah. And I think this is kind of that pairing with uh, Ratatouille because there is the yeah. the feared food critic who has this moment of rapture when he tastes the Ratatouille. Well, and I'm, I'm, you're making me think of with bringing up Sandler and and Kay, just sort of, you know, similar guys. You, you made me think of a, a, a third factor we haven't even talked about, which is the money guys, right? The money and, you know, which is the Adam Arkin character, right? The, the yeah. money behind the fine dining, the money behind the movie. Yep. And Kay just talked about how he's like, I wouldn't do another like Brookheimer big budget movie. He's like, I, that's a fear based economy is a sort. I think it was a part of a quote I saw yeah. from him, but he talks about how like, it's all scared money. Like they only want one kind of movie and they don't want like, different choices from from the performance and so he's he's talking about how like he he seemed based on some quotes i've seen from cage i think he seems happier at this stage he's of doing what he's doing even yeah. though you know he's still and it's the, really, some of that's got to do with his tax debt well he's sure. still I mean, that's work. kind of the joke right he's yeah like, oh he's just making this because he has tax debt and yeah probably part of it especially early on yeah. in this weird shift in his career yeah. where he does move into B movie territory. I mean, what we would assume it's like really post to, post the Weatherman and Lord of War in two thousand and five, where, where he did try really to come back pivots. to the serious thing. You know, he'd done the Bruckheimer action stuff in the late nineties, early aughts. Yeah, he does try to do a few more serious roles, and then he just adaptation kind of, early aughts yeah. as well. Yeah, just, still he just that does like weird. You know, he does Trespassing with Schumacher, which is like straight to DVD. Yeah, forgot uh, about that. And then he just does a bunch of. I mean, dozens, um, dozens of movies yeah. over the last few years yeah. that, that are just, you've never heard of. Yeah, and, and similar career trajectory to like a John Cusack who does kind of the same thing. Sure, 
Um, but it's really interesting to see that in light of a Sam Jackson mm-hmm. who can do Marvel blockbuster, but he does 50 of these like straight to, you know, he just lends his name to whatever. Yeah. And gets his name in whatever because yeah. he, and he's Sam Jackson. Yeah. And no one bats an eye about that because. Because he's always done that, I guess. Is maybe cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know, you know, what that break is between a Jackson and a Cage or yeah. even a Bruce Willis who can kind of do this and navigate it a little better. And nobody band. really makes fun of Willis, even though I guess, I guess the only. Maybe a little more than Cage or Jackson, but. Yeah. Less than Cage. But yeah, yeah. you could put. Willis in a serious movie tomorrow, and people are like, "Oh, okay, go, you know that Bruce Willis movie looks good. He's back, and you can't do that with Cage. No, mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. Right. So I, I, I think that's a really cool moment he gets in this movie, which really does feel like him addressing the last ten to fifteen years of his career in a really powerful and I think beautiful way. People are like, "Oh, he, he just doesn't care. No, it, He's gonna do what he wants." It's a scene where you you see just how much he does care. You know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, yeah, this, this, this should be the blowtorch. Yeah. Yep. This should be the blowtorch and pliers scene. Yeah, is what this is this supposed is the to last be. step between him and finding out yeah. who has his pig. And and what he does rather is he reminds another human being of who they were born to be. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, which is torturous. It is. It is. It the the way this movie is supposed to. That is the torture scene of the film. Well, and that's what Arthur said, right? And he he's he's got this smile on because he's you know exchanging pleasantries with his this boss of his that he really admired, and he yeah he he's in so in shock at the the torture that he's being put under that it is still the 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 social smile because it so defies social convention. Because here it, he is beat up and you, you, by the way you do want Nick Cage to get a shower this whole movie and it never happens. yeah. But what, I love it. What, what you expect, again, even if this movie was not to resort to violence in this scene, you expect him to give a dressing down like this food is garbage or whatever. He yeah, doesn't ever say is, this is bad. No. He doesn't ever say it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. unpleasant or not, you know, of the is quality. Is this what you want to do? It, yeah, that's the real question yeah. is, I want to, I remember you and your humanity. Yeah. And I want you to remember your own humanity and move away from the dehumanizing system that has forced right you to do this, right? This is very in. <laughs> you know, don't, yeah, why do that? And of course, I mean, as far as like uh, verisimilitude, are there English pubs in Portland? Uh-huh. Yeah. And do they make... Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. You know, but... It's a food town. They got everything, I'm sure. But I don't care about that. Yeah. What I care about is that he remembers your... He remembers this guy's signature dish. Yeah. Reminds this guy of his own signature dish and that that's you. Yeah. Be... There, why don't you just be yourself because everybody else is taken? That is torture... In 21st century understanding of, you know, yeah. conforming to whatever images the world would have, you know, around. It's, 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 it's brilliant filmmaking in that sense, as far as the screenplay goes. Well, it's again, it's a moment where the film has to sort of say that to itself, right? Where the, the film has to stay true to what it's, it's being. It, it is a film about acceptance. It's about not about raging against the bad things that happen to you, but accepting the bad things that happen to you. And again, a, a film about committing to being authentically you mm-hmm. uh and yeah it's a, such a beautiful moment and again i think it's the scene of the movie because yeah. it sort of lays down the thesis of again nick cage's career but also the, the movie pigs kind of central thesis and it's a parallel that we see running through alex wolf's character right who is yes who is trying to form his own identity but maybe be something he's not because he's trying to his classical music podcast or whatever he's listening to it's explaining why classical music is good it's yeah a good bit. It's, it's, it's a good character bit. So it's a good character bit but yeah you're right it's like it it adds like kind of a, a kind of nice little through line that that mirrors the, the journey that's yeah. going on throughout the movie yep and we see him presenting to cage as one thing like oh i'm this big deal this big shot but when he goes to uh deliver 
uh, truffles to the the meat guy, and he's like, I, I, "That's your dad's place. What do you want me to do? Yeah, you get he, yourself. I don't care about you. Yeah, he's right? like, get out of here. Yeah, no, I'm like, not going to use my connections to get you a lunch table at your dad's place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's an interesting point. But then we move from this set piece to the big the, dinner the, scene. No, no. Yeah, well, we get the first encounter with the big bad. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. First, Darius him, Adam yeah. Arkin's character, who yeah. is Wolf's da- Amir's father. Yeah. Um, also in the truffle. Now, do we ever find out if he's a restaurateur or he's a supplier? I think he's both? a supplier. Is, is he just a supplier? Well, they make it sound like. Well, maybe he's supplying to yeah, the, the I, restaurant that they were just at. I, right? Correct. Yeah, that's Watching, my assumption. Yeah. Watching it twice and now, Arthur. What, I'm still unsure. Yeah. If well, he's that's a, what. Amir's probably trying to, he's trying to be his own supplier, like break out yes. of his dad's shadow to become a supplier mm. of equal or more notable And worth. dad's not giving him a chance yep. because he didn't believe in him, yep. right? Yeah. But yeah, we get this first encounter with uh, the, the big bad of the movie who has orchestrated the taking of the pig, we assume. Yep. And uh, that encounter typically kind of plays out with the, the good guy riding into town and throwing out the, throwing down the glove. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of see that play out in a somewhat melancholy way. Is so, yeah, I'll give you twenty five grand to go away right now. And I'm not going to give you your pig back. You're not getting what you want. Leave my house. Yeah. Which is the things fall apart scene, right? That's what it's supposed to be in terms of screenwriting. Yeah. Is that this is the big loss? This is Clint Eastwood, yeah. you know, uh, in um, for a fistful of dollars, you yeah. know, getting beat up and then you know going off the cemetery, rehabilitating and then coming back into town yeah. is what we're expecting to have happen there, or John Wick or whomever. Yeah. Uh, and so. It up, it upsets that, and we find out in the moments following this that the motivation is not at all financial uh, for wanting to get the pig back. That he doesn't need the pig to find the truffles. No, you just read the trees. Yeah, yeah. He's just it, he just loves his pig. Yeah, and I just love her. And we're trying to, you know, it's like obviously probably sentimental for his loss of his wife, but yeah. also maybe she gave it to him, and you know, it almost has that feel of like. That John Wick, the puppy, this was is, yeah, bestowed to him. However, the pig came to him. It is it is a source of unconditional love in his life. Yeah, that is that is missing. It's been a constant there for him. Yeah. while he has gone off to the wilderness, his, his monk like isolation. Yeah, yeah, self imposed isolation too. Yeah, I mean that's that's the um, the tr- he tries to leave in his own truck and it immediately dies. Right, so yeah. like clearly he has not left. He's in relying on Mir Amir to bring him groceries. Yeah. Fifteen years. We, we is learned. it fifteen? Yeah. 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 I love that moment where where Derek goes. I thought you were. De- uh, he like almost says he thinks he's dead. And he kind of backs off of it. Yeah. But anyway, to to get back to where we were, you're right, Dustin. Like he doesn't roll when he does revisit Adam Arkin. It is not to do pain. He's he comes back to feed him the meal that he's been raving about for years. Right. right? And to bring him and his son to the same table yeah. together. Yeah. The problem you've got is you're estranged from your son. Yeah. And this is a meal in which uh, part of your union with your wife was sort of reestablished mm-hmm. because he remembers that. And I'm going to bring you into that same meal right now. I'm going to just give this thing to you and remind you of who you are. Well, and it's again, that, that moment where Adam Arkin is like losing his shit at him. He's like, why are you doing this to me? He's like, because I remember every meal I ever cooked. Like, I, of course I remember you. I remember like making this for you. Like I'm remember that you liked me. Remember that I'm a person too. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is such a, a beautiful like arc for the movie to have that it is <clears> just <throat> people like trying to come to terms with each other, trying to, respect each other as as human beings right and that's that's sort of even uh rob has to do this for Amir, right like he is sort of not keeping him in the loop and he finally says, all right i'll get you into the loop i'm going i'm trying to find the secret chef fight club now you're in the loop right right like even even rob has to 
put aside like his his need to get the pig back as soon as possible to like show that yes okay i appreciate that you're giving me a ride everywhere now will you please shut up and follow me like well, it is it is all about the, the navigating these conversations of respect and you know uh, not even just respect but just appreciation for people as a human being um there's that moment of break in that relationship between him and rob and when he tells him he's done with him and Amir sort of repents of, I didn't know, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, I didn't want to help and was kind of, you know, kind of unhelpful and kind of a heel at a moment there. And Cage is being a heel as well. But when he comes back, the forgiveness is unspoken and immediately just given and reciprocated. Yeah. And he just brings him back in. Well, and Amir finally cops to like, I did tell him, like, yeah. it was you that I was getting troubles from. Because I was trying to be a big shot. Yeah. And, like, owns that, right? Yeah. And it, I think it's brilliant that that happens. And then the meal itself is what sort of brings about the confession, which results in the worst thing, is that the pig is no longer being held hostage. Spoiler alert. The pig has been dead the whole time. The pig's been dead the whole time. It died in transit. And, yeah. um, you know, there was pretty, never any way to get the pig back. They're pretty fragile animals. And uh, so we see Nick Cage's absolute um, horror, sadness, brokenness at that moment. But he still doesn't tear that stuff up. He no. still doesn't burn the guy's house down. He simply just goes back to his life and tells Amir he'll see him on Thursday, you know, and comes to just, you know, like you were saying earlier, bad things simply just do happen. Well, and Darius gives us this counter, right? Like, so we, we learn that, uh, no, his his mom didn't die. She didn't she didn't kill herself. She might have tried, but she is still very much with us. And, and Darius has got her on life support in their house with a with a hospice nurse mm-hmm. and and that that's sort of the the baggage that amir's been carrying around the, the whole movie and it's the, the baggage that's like keeping him and his dad from having any kind of relationship is is this this inability to accept that a bad thing happened to their family mm-hmm. right and it is it's just interesting that you have these counterpoints of you know people accepting the the suffering that that is being visited upon them by life and and other people incapable of accepting that suffering and how they they sort of have to navigate those things to to understand each other Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 again it's the movie's just really well constructed as far as like giving you you know little thematic underpinnings for each character relationship it's really great it's great stuff absolutely and again, sort of the metalist way in which you can take revenge on somebody is with kindness, it seems like, in this film, yeah. which is brilliant. It's great. And it's such a quiet ending, too, right? Mm-hmm. That is, there, there is no catharsis in Pig. It is about acceptance. It, that, that The acceptance that sometimes you will not find the catharsis you're looking for. All you can do is go listen to the mixtape that your wife made you and go back to sleep. Listen to her cover, a great Bruce, Bruce Springsteen yeah. song, right? Go back to bed. <laughs> it's good. It's a good cover. Yeah, it is a good cover. It is a good, it's better than Springsteen's. Um, quite frankly, I don't care for Springsteen that much. I don't. Sorry, controversial opinion. Okay. Not on this podcast, probably. Uh, uh, yeah, I like the Boss. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. It's got some catchy songs, but I'm not like flying the flag. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a diehard fan, so I'm not going to jump to. I like uh, that to one that uh, what's her name's listening to in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> American Girl. Oh yeah, the Tom Petty song. Yeah, oh, Petty? Never mind. yeah, I like Tom Petty. No, Never mind. yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we, we stand Sorry, Tom. Pe- yeah, we stand Tom Petty here. <laughs> we, I, yeah, I like the boss in theory. I guess more than in practice. You yeah, know, I like see. him as a as an icon. Well, Summer yeah. '69. Who's that? That's that's like Mellencamp. Yeah, I, think oh, I like Mellencamp. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, How do we end up on this digression? <laughs> I mean, it all comes back to fine dining and filmmaking, too. Right. 
Uh, okay, well, are there, uh, we've sort of walked through the movie now. Um, are there other big thematic things we failed to uh, a touch at this point? No, I think we pretty much got everything that I, I had thought of just by going through the plot of the movie. We're kind of able to get most of the thematic beats that I, I wanted I like to... this style. It was a fun shift. Yeah. Kind of walk through it and... Well, it's so rare it that the movie's like big themes are laid over the the arc of the plot mm-hmm. so neatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't doesn't happen very often, but yeah, yeah, I mean that it helps that you have that that sort of pivotal scene in the restaurant, but as well as the, the dinner scene. We didn't talk about the salted baguette scene. Oh I really man, like that. that's a sweet moment. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice moment where he goes and visits his old restaurant, and the the baker that worked there, his like sous chef, presumably took it over and turned it into a bakery. Mm-hmm. Just a really quiet, nice. Yeah, it's so good. And he gets an extra it, an extra sweet tart for a you know for a mirror, for a mirror, mirror which yeah. is just a very yeah. good touch, nice yeah. touch. And I think that's really the you know the again going back to this movie. I mean, there are so many things about it that just shouldn't work, right? I mean, it it introduces us to this weird underground fight club of sous chefs in Portland. Yeah, this whole like the absurdity of his truffle pig. Like there are so the many black things truffle market that's going yeah. on in the woods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like those. The, <laughs> Yeah, when uh, when the uh, the seller loses her her mind over them uh, uh, stealing the pig, gets so mad it's about this. So funny, pig. and if anybody messes with her with her, <laughs> her guy, that's gonna watch. Yeah, yeah. she's gonna break your fingers if you mess with the. But all this, my I mean, placeholder. <laughs> it does the same sorts of world building that a John Wick does. Absolutely, and, and it really does play with the genre tropes in such a way that I just I don't know how it works so well. But it, I think it is. Like you said, that earnestness that it has. Mm-hmm. Like it's never trying to be preachy. It's never trying to be pretentious. It's never looking down its nose. It 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 knows so well what it's doing and how to do it and how to utilize every tool to make it happen in a way that's just glorious. And it's, it's even split into parts, which can all, you know is mm-hmm. a is a move that can yeah. based on dishes that can work or not work. Yeah, splitting a movie up into distinct chunks can often come across as just like a needlessly artistic yes. sort of self indulgent choice. And here yeah. it is, it does sort of work. There yep. there is sort of a thought behind the dish and the 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 moment. And again, it's only three three sections that we get, so mm-hmm. it's very kind of restrained and dividing the film and up. It into follows pieces. the three act structure exactly, right? and so. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all right. Let's uh, let's render a verdict then, shall we? As though there's any debate. Um, well, showing our cards. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, shelf. I mean, uh, yeah. okay, we're done. It's a movie about re- yeah, reaching other people's hearts through your craft. It's great. Yeah. And again, there's not a lot of things you get to really care about. Talking about movies with you guys is one of the things that I care about. And this, this movie, like, does such a good job of letting you the viewer think about your own life through through whether it's film or fine dining it's it's allowing you to to think about the things that you care about and, and the things that help you through your day and yeah it's a great movie yeah it's an instance of what walter brueggemann calls prophetic imagination where you resist the modes of thinking of empire and contemplate another way yeah and, baby. and yeah it's brilliant for that so i love it a lot all right well there's that um how can they be part of the conversation about pig with us dalton that's right someday this will all be underwater uh <laughs> and uh we'll have your emails left to, to guide us uh if you want to join the conversation you can email us good trash at gmail.com uh, we're on Twitter at Good Trash Media. If you want to find us there, it's links to the show, that sort of thing. Um, if you want to help support us, uh, last week's show uh, we talked about Cure. 
that was from our, our lovely friend Keith and Smith. Uh, he's a patron uh, over at patreon.com forward slash GTM. You too can become a patron. And one of the things you can do uh, is help us pick a, pick movies to watch. Uh, there's lots of other things over there. You can get all the details once again at patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want more info about how to help us keep the lights on. And one more time in case you're still wondering, it's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for that long form feedback if you want to tell us what you thought about Pig. Very cool. Thank you for that. Dalton, Arthur, shall we do another show? I kind of want to now. Do you? We I won do. you over with the pig? I, the, the, man, I tell you the what. The pig movie. The pig kept me for one more week. That That's, will do pig. That will. Uh, and just imagine uh, what's his doodle there uh, going off on a <laughs> tangent across Portland, <laughs> searching for babe. Pig in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, well, next week, uh, I, I, I think we, uh, we're hitting... Uh, trying to think here. I'm trying to do math again, real quick. Hang on. Um, um, what are we doing next week? I feel like my math is off. I want to double check something. Sorry, dear listener, you're hearing me uh, do stuff I should have done off the air. No, look, it's it's good to give them the inside baseball. A little step into the kitchen to see what the cooks get up to. See our full frail humanity. Let me see. My math off. That's it. Oh, that's why. That's where I'm getting off. Okay. Yep. Next episode is uh, episode 450. So I thought it'd be fun to do something. You know, one of those movies like, how have we not done that? God, in 450 episodes. 450 episodes. Man. Wow. Isn't that wild? Wow. So, Dalton, what I actually want you to do is I want you to pick a number between one and four to decide which movie we're going to do next week. And it's going to be one of those movies like, how have we not got to okay. that yet? All right. So, one to four. One to four. You pick. I'm picking number two because art's just poop. <laughs> little 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 callback to the Holy Mountain for our deep cut fans. I was trying to send so hard. Were you? Yeah. Did you send the right one? I did send the right one. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Things get radical next week as we watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, how have we not talked about that? I don't know. I don't God. know either. But an man. absolute triumph of puppetry. 1989's TMNT. Let's get it. One. For the longest time, one of the highest grossing independent films ever made. You know who's in that? So the baby Sam Rockwell. There you go. We true, love The Rock. True, true. We've got well, regular we... and menthol. <laughs> you don't see what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, you know. I've seen the movie. A few times. <laughs> Vanilla Ice is at the house next week. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so you keep watching. Oh, I can't wait to keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>